This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Welcome to This Little Light this of Mine, the podcast mine. where we explore what happens when you teach I'm a child that they are not allowed shine. to love. Here's your host, this James Powell. Hello and welcome to episode four of This Little Light of Mine. My name is James Powell, and I want to thank you so much for joining me on this personal journey of healing, discovery, and possibility. Again, I've been blown away by all your love, support, feedback, and comments over the last month. And wow, I was not expecting some of the questions that have been coming my way, but we'll get to those shortly. I've loved connecting with queer people of faith at Generous Space trading podcast tips with my new friends Donna and Hannah Noble from Closeted Conversations with My Wife, check them out, chatting with parents of queer youth, meeting a sex-positive, heterosexual, Christian feminist in London, and getting to know friends better as they learn more about me from this podcast. And here's where I need your help. And yes, I'm going to ask again. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts give priority exposure to podcasts that have the most ratings and reviews. I'm asking because your ratings and reviews really do make a difference in getting this message of love and acceptance out to as many people as possible. Would you take a moment out of your day to follow one of the links below, rate, review, and subscribe to this little light of mine, and then please would you share this with your social networks? We have another big episode in store for you today, and here's what's coming up. I'm going to hit pause on my story for this episode to set the record straight around some of the questions that have been coming in. And then, in the interview portion of today's episode, I'm joined by my friend John Brower. There's been lots of news recently about conversion therapy, and I wanted to bring in an expert on this topic. John Brower is a four-time conversion therapy graduate. I actually don't know what the correct title or designation would be for someone like John because you actually don't graduate from conversion therapy and because it's not actually a therapy because it's all fake. I don't, yeah, I don't even know what you call it. But spoiler alert, he's still gay. I found John's story fascinating And it helped me see the politics behind conversion therapy and how real and dangerous this practice still is today in both Canada and the United States. And while I might be able to joke about things like conversion therapy at this point in my journey, there's nothing to joke about. And I do know what you call someone like John who's been through conversion therapy four times. They're victims. They've been subjected to massive psychological, emotional, spiritual, and mental abuse. I'm very lucky to have someone like John here to share his experience because it's not easy to share. And we need people like John to share so that we can all understand what is really going on and learn how we can help. And now, here's today's episode. I want to pause my story for this episode to answer some of the questions that have been coming in since I started this little light of mine. I want to be as transparent as possible, I guess. Some of the questions that I received are on the lighter end of the spectrum, and others, let's just say, not so light, and I was honestly a bit surprised by them. But let's start off by answering some of the easier questions. 
I'm currently 42 and I live in Toronto. I've lived here most of my life. Went to school in Toronto uh, and finished up in Hong Kong. In my 20s, I took a year off to travel the world. Ended up meeting Britney Spears in Vegas, becoming a dive master in Southeast Asia, unknowingly working for a drug kingpin near the Great Barrier Reef before settling down and living in Sydney. But those are stories for another day. And at one point, thought I was going to live and work in South Africa, but that didn't pan out. I'm currently single, but I live with my new puppy Keystone, who is seven months old right now. I'm the oldest of three children. I have a younger sister with four kids and a younger brother with three kids. Someone was asking about my coping mechanisms during COVID lockdown time. And I guess one of the things that is a little bit out of control right now is eating my emotions. I definitely eat like a teenager and would be embarrassed if you looked at my fridge right now. And if I'm being really, really honest, you wouldn't even have to open my fridge. As I sit here and record this podcast, I'm staring at a grocery store bag filled with, I think it's three bags of chips that I bought. I'm a sucker for the buy three, get a discount deal. And also in front of me is a half-eaten box of Girl Guide cookies. There's one left in the vanilla row, and it's a full row of chocolate. So definitely vanilla over chocolate fan when it comes to cookies. It's been a long week here. Someone asked me what my top three ways of practicing self-care were. My main way of practicing self-care is journaling. I've kept a journal since my late teens, and this is one of my main ways of talking to and listening to God. Second way is working out. I love hit classes, running, and lifting weights. And if I'm not at the gym, I find it really, really hard to get self-motivated. And my third way of practicing self-care is anything to deal with growth. I'm a self-healing, spirituality, personal development junkie. I get energized when I learn new things, discover new insights about myself and others, and see new ways forward. And I love connecting with friends that share this passion and just having those long conversations and talking about what's possible. Getting into a little bit more deeper questions, someone was asking if my family accepted me. Well, this is a complicated and nuanced question, and I'll definitely be covering that in upcoming episodes. But for right now, I'll share that I feel loved and accepted by my parents, and that we have made gigantic strides forward in our relationship in the past year. But overall, it has been a massive journey for all of us. Now, let's move into some of the deeper waters. Someone from LA contacted me to say that my entire project triggered him. He identifies as a gay man in his mid-twenties, and according to him, everything about this little light of mine was wrong and highly suspicious. He told me that my message was too slick, too branded, and too carefully thought out. He went on to say that my project doesn't look like the honest, raw, and messy journey of someone seeking to recover from church-inflicted trauma. He thought I was one of those new rebranded programs from establishment churches looking to lure hurting LGBTQ individuals back into an institution which, to many queer people, is dangerous and broken at its core. 
As we continued our conversation, I could see so much of myself in his questions and in his hesitancy. There was obvious pain and trauma in his story, yet part of him still held on to some hope. Maybe, just maybe, there might be a new way forward. His big questions to me were, prove to me that you are who you say you are. He asked me, show me your wounds, your pain, your trauma, and your mess, and then sell me on why you're doing what you're doing. After taking some pause to consider how my experience in advertising and marketing were viewed by him as a threat, I started to tell him that I'm in my 40s and there are lots of raw and messy parts to my story. But, like most gay men, I've become an expert at hiding those. I could never let anybody see those parts of me. But I assured him that those will come out in time but that I'm not about to throw that up from the start. I share that this journey has been decades long, and he's seeing me now as I'm coming above water again. And probably not the last time. I shared that for nearly my entire life, I felt alone, disconnected, separate, wrong and sinful. And how my church community taught me that God didn't love me because of who I am and how God designed me to love. As a young boy, I sat terrified in a church pew week after week, fearing the day that someone would find out about my shameful secret and ship me off to be fixed. To hide my shameful secret, I felt forced to create an entirely separate identity, one that denied who God created me to be, just so that those who, quote, loved me would accept me. Creating a false version of myself was an affront to God it taught me to hate myself, and it wreaked havoc on my life and the lives of many around me. Young, terrified, and full of shame, I didn't have anyone to talk to. AOL chat rooms were just being invented when I was a teen. I didn't know that any other gay Christians like me existed. I thought I was the only one. I guess I thought I was a unicorn. I also knew that if I spoke up, I would have been lovingly helped to remove my same-sex attractions. And looking back, I now know that my silence at a young age was God saving me from the abuse of conversion therapy. I can now see that I actually did something much worse. I conducted conversion therapy on myself, and this therapy of hate was 24-7 for at least 20 years. As a young boy, I would have given the world to turn around in church to see one single solitary example of a loving, committed gay relationship. To hear a church song that affirmed LGBTQ people. Or to hear a positive and affirming message for all of God's people from the pulpit. Or to hear even one positive, just one loving, an affirmative comment about a gay person from anyone in my family or church community. Even the hope that love was possible for a gay Christian like me would have changed the trajectory of my life. Others have reached out asking, why are you helping the church stay alive by talking about such a hate-filled place? 
They felt that even mentioning church, God, and queer in the same sentence was only re-victimizing the hundreds of thousands of queer people who were dehumanized and tossed aside by church. To them I explained, like many other gay Christians, I have left the evangelical church. Why would anyone stay where, at best, they feel they aren't even invited? Or stay in a place where they're told, you can stay, but only, only if you accept second-class citizenship, or live in the shadows of a don't-ask, don't-tell world, where they're actually asking you to lie. I thought that walking away was the solution, and I explored other types of churches. Predominantly gay churches, Unitarian churches, United churches, super-mega-Pentecostal churches, Anabaptist churches, Anglican churches, centers for spiritual living, and even not going to church at all. Being part of a predominantly LGBTQ church played a massive role in helping me reconcile my sexuality with my faith. I will be forever grateful for the loving compassion, the God-centered ministry, and the friendships that I was surrounded with during this time. Churches like MCC Toronto are desperately needed to help pick up the discarded people who have been dejected by mainline evangelical churches. As much as I desperately needed this bridge, I also discovered that I don't want my faith to focus exclusively on my sexuality. And I don't want my faith to exist in a segregated community. In fact, I sometimes think that as a gay community, we're doing ourselves a disservice. We are bedazzling the segregated water fountain, celebrating the fact that it's there, when really, we should be looking to tear that down. At some churches, I felt welcomed, included, and affirmed, and yet the style, format, and community made me desperately miss my evangelical roots. At other churches, I could be gay, and we could gather as a group, as long as we didn't publicly talk about our existence. And once again, we were back in the closet. At some, I felt the familiar sting where all are welcome eventually morphs into, you can't be part of our community if you're going to continue with your same-sex-attracted lifestyle. And when I didn't go to church, I desperately missed the community and craved the connection that I felt from the evangelical church. Sadly, though, my way of filling this void nearly cost me my life. So, to answer your questions, why haven't you completely turned your back on the church? Or, can't you see that you're continuing to hurt queer people by even talking about church? To these questions I share, someone needs to go back into the burning house and save the kids. If we all leave and never look back, what hope do the younger versions of ourselves have? We didn't have anyone to help us out. Does that mean that we shouldn't help them out? For me, I believe change needs to start with us. Change needs to start with me. I hope that sharing my story now, I can be that example to other young gay Christians and their families that sit in churches each week right now. Another person was offended and disgusted that I would even use the phrase gay Christian. 
He told me that I should be ashamed of myself and that I needed to rethink what I was doing. And before you get too excited, no, this wasn't a Trump-supporting fundamentalist in the Deep South. This was what some would call a queer liberal snowflake, and he wondered how a homosexual man like me would use the word Christian to describe myself. To him, I was choosing to align myself and my identity as part of a hate group. And while I don't fully agree with his view, I do get his point. Despite leaving the evangelical church, God has never stopped urging me to follow through on his mission that he gave me as a young boy. After decades of running, trying as hard as I could to turn my back on my faith, this project is my starting point to help heal. Help heal myself, heal relationships, heal families, heal communities, and heal, or maybe radically alter, what we call the church. The time has come for the evangelical church and quite frankly, all faith traditions to open their doors and fully affirm LGBTQ children of God. I've also been surprised with some of the comments that I've received about some of my posts. I've heard things like, you're doing this because you're mad and you want to get even. And wow, that was pretty direct. Shouldn't you tone things down so that people don't think that you're angry? And, are you trying to hurt the church? Do you want to cut everything down? Think of all the good that would go away. When I go inside with these comments, I can feel my anger. Who wouldn't? My experiences with the church nearly cost me my life and has taken the lives of some of my friends. Of course I'm working through the anger as I heal, and I'm working through this anger with a number of different therapists and specialists. And what I'm starting to learn is that as I start to use my voice, now people consider me angry. Now that I'm speaking my truth, I'm no longer convenient. I'm not polite. And now that I'm taking off my mask, I'm no longer part of the majority. My white male privilege is starting to get a tiny taste of what it must be like to be the angry black woman, the loud, screaming immigrant, or the emotional woman that we keep hearing about. Want to know what I think we should all be angry about? Suicide is the second leading cause of death for youth 15 to 24. Queer youth seriously contemplate suicide at almost three times the rate of their hetero counterparts. This stat includes me and dozens of my friends. Queer youth are almost five times more likely to have attempted suicide than of their hetero counterparts. And queer kids who come from highly rejecting families are 8.4 times as likely to have attempted suicide compared to their queer peers who come from somewhat of an accepting home. If you go to church, rewind and listen to that stat again, because that's talking about you and your children. And if you're maybe thinking that this is something for the younger generation to worry about, this stat is talking about your grandchildren. It doesn't matter if they're your kids. They're still children. 
Another stat, 40% of transgendered adults have reported having made a suicide attempt. 40%! And 92% of these individuals report to having attempted suicide before 25. And I'm also angry that suicide has claimed the lives of my friends Ron, Chris, Steve, Scotty, and many others who have died way too early. But with these friends, we pretend it was for some other reason, so that we can make ourselves feel better or less guilty. And let's just touch on mental health and substance abuse for just a minute. LGBTQ individuals are almost three times more likely than others to experience a mental health condition, such as major depression or generalized anxiety disorder and LGBTQ teens are six times more likely to experience symptoms of depression than the general population. Substance abuse? Queer youth are more than twice as likely to experiment with drugs and alcohol. And I guess when you hate yourself, you need something to numb the pain. Self-harm? With each instance of verbal or physical harassment, each single instance, the risk of self-harm among queer youth is two and a half times more likely. And finally, let's switch away from anger and let's focus on happiness. 67% of straight kids say that they are happy, but their queer counterparts, only 37% can say the same about happiness. So when I know those stats, and I know my personal experience, and think of all the kids going through the same thing today, I know that we can no longer afford to ignore the psychological, spiritual, emotional, and mental abuse that the church inflicts on children when they teach that any of God's kids are less than, unworthy of love, or unable to love in a way that God has designed them to love. I'm sharing my story for other LGBTQ children, their families, their friends and their allies, their churches, and for all the people that go to and support their churches. I want people to know that it's unacceptable for anyone to be made to feel less than whole for who they are. That it's unacceptable for any more children to end their lives for feeling unloved. It's unacceptable for any more parents to lose their children, for any more siblings to grow up without really knowing their brothers or sisters. It's unacceptable for any person, anyone, to be turned away from God's message of love because of a message of exclusion from the church. It's not what God says. It's man's interpretation. So if you want to call that angry, sure. But I call it not wanting people to die. Someone needs to scream fire and help people get out of the building. And hopefully, hopefully you'll help me by calling 911 instead of just standing there to watch. Or even worse, walking by and pretending that nothing is going on. These kids need our help. I needed your help. But most importantly, to the queer children growing up in the church right now, and to those of you who have left, this project is dedicated to you. 
I want you to know how loved you are. You were loved unconditionally by God who made you exactly as you are. You are one of God's chosen children and you were created to live a brilliant life full of love, joy, and peace. It's not about just getting by. You were created to live a brilliant life. You, your heart, your mind, your body, your soul, your gender expression, your sexuality, and the way that you love are created perfectly in God's image. You were created on purpose, and your purpose is to fully love yourself, connect deeply with others, and to share your love with the rest of the world. Your purpose is to let the light of your life shine. And now, now's the time for our return to love, our time to let our light shine together. It's our time to celebrate God's unconditional love for all people. Because we are all creative, guiltless, resourceful, and whole. We are all loved, and we are all worthy of love. And when we finally accept this, we can create whatever world we want. And that is when the magic happens. Because that, that's when we really start living. That's when we create heaven on earth. Like I was taught so many years ago, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if that's a little too churchy for you, maybe you know my friend Belinda. If you do, you know that love always comes first. Let's listen to her. Let's work together. Let's work to make heaven a place on earth. Thank you for coming along with me today as I pause to answer some of your questions. As I get deeper into this project, I'm realizing how important this work really is to me. As I take a look back on my life, and as you'll hear in future episodes, I've smelled smoke coming from that burning house since I was a little kid. But back then, I was in the house, and I was the one that needed to be rescued. I needed to be protected. And now I'm starting to see the opportunity for me to use my voice to be part of the solution. Thank you for joining me. Our kids need us. They need us to be leaders and examples of what unconditional love actually can be. And I'm learning that love is a verb. It's not a noun. It's about action. It's about doing something. It's about showing people what love is. And one last piece of feedback I received was around the format, length, and frequency of this little light of mine. And on that note, I've got a bit of a surprise announcement. Here it is. This is the end of today's episode. I've heard your feedback and I want to integrate some of it. And moving forward, my intention will be to alternate between story episodes and interview episodes and Release a new episode of This Little Light of Mine every two weeks.
So that means I'll be releasing my interview with John Brower in two weeks' time. So mark down June 11th on your calendar for my interview with four-time conversion therapy survivor John Brower, where we will talk about what you can do to help stop conversion therapy in Canada and the United States. And yeah, it's still going on. Today, this isn't an old story. But wait a second. Not so fast. I've got one more thing for you. Before we go, I want to assign you with some homework to lock in some of the learning from today's episode. Have you ever dreamed of being an investigative reporter? Well, now's your chance. I want you to call up your local Baptist, Evangelical, Pentecostal, Catholic, or non-denominational church. And while we're at it, let's not leave out mosques, temples, and other places of worship. And I want you to ask them these five questions. And don't worry, these questions will be written out and online at thislittlelightofmind.ca and in our show notes, so not having the questions will not be an excuse for you not doing your homework. Number one, do your policies allow LGBTQ plus folks to be baptized in your church? Get married here? Are there any restrictions on how LGBTQ plus folks can participate in your church? Now, when you're asking this question, don't be afraid to get specific. Start with the lowest level of participation. Maybe a hospitality team member, a door holder, someone at the coffee stand, etc. Continue toward roles with more responsibility and ask if all queer folks can teach Sunday school to children, volunteer in the nursery, preach in services, or serve as a pastor. And maybe if there's a woman's retreat, Specifically ask if trans women can attend or if it's only for cis women. Clarify if the policies differ for gay, celibate folks as opposed to non-celibate gay folks. Even if the church has a rainbow flag in the sanctuary, double-check if they officiate same-sex weddings because they may not be able to due to their denomination's policies. Asking yes or no policy questions will get you the clearest answer possible. Question number two, are women currently permitted to preach in the primary church service? Can they serve as elders, board members, or be part of other governing bodies of the church? Would a woman be permitted to be a senior pastor or a minister? When you're asking this question, there's no room for ambiguity when faced with questions like these. If the pastor or whoever you're talking to responds with verbose vague language, example, we support women's leadership, and doesn't give you a clear answer, be polite, but insistent. Redirect them back to your original question, and if needed, ask for a simple yes or no answer. And if they do answer yes, ask them about the gender demographics within the leadership team and how often women preach at main services. And question number three, will you ordain or recommend for ordination and hire openly LGBTQ plus people at your church. And remember, policy, policy, policy. The more specific you can be, the more direct the answer should be. Asking about hiring and ordination policies is one of the quickest shortcuts to getting a satisfactory response. Clarify if the policies differ for gay, celibate people as opposed to non-celibate gay people. 
this is where the church gets a little bit gray and likes to confuse the issue. Question number four. How much of your paid staff identifies as black, indigenous, other person of color, women, queer, or non-binary? When all else fails, ask for the numbers. This question asks for a clear, measurable answer, free from ambiguity or flowery language. And finally, question five. What programs, policies, and teachings does your church have in place to help dismantle white supremacy? Again, ask for the specifics. Who leads these programs? Where specifically do you find the content, research, and stories to create these teachings? What measurable results are you tracking in this area? And once you're done asking all five questions, ask for the evidence. You can say, can you please send me the links to your most recent Sunday morning service where, one, a queer-affirming message was shared by a member of your staff who identifies as queer, two, a message of dismantling white supremacy and the intersectionality of race and sexuality, race and disability, and race and colonization was shared by a member of your staff who identifies as black, indigenous, or other person of color, or a message of gender, ethics, sexuality, equality, and the Bible was shared by a lead pastor on your staff that identifies as female. Once you've completed this assignment, I want you to take a look at your investigation results and ask, what message do these results send to the children who are hearing these words? What subtle messages do these findings teach our boys on their place in the world when interacting with women and queer people? What messages of worth and equality do your findings reinforce and teach our girls about their place and space in the world? What messages of worth, equality, love, and inclusion do your findings send to our queer children who may be silently wrestling with their orientation or gender, but are too afraid to even ask a question? What messages are being taught about race, colonialism, white privilege, and the urgent need of the church to dismantle racism? What would our world look like if our governments could answer these questions in the same way as our churches do? What about our places of employment? Would you even be able to have a job if your employers were allowed to answer these questions in the same way that some of our churches do? I know I wouldn't have a job. And are these messages, the messages that you heard from your community churches, are these the ones that you want to be teaching to your children? Are these the messages that you actually believe for yourself? Or are these the messages that you've been told that you must believe so that you can belong yourself? One final thing to consider before we close. Are you going to join me and go back into the burning house to save our kids? Will you at least call for help or maybe run to get some blankets to help with the rescue? Or are you going to be one of those people that stops and gawks at the blaze? Or are you going to be one of those people who continues to sit silently while you pretend not to hear the alarm, that you don't smell the smoke, and that you don't feel the roaring heat from the flames? A special thanks to my friends at churchclarity.org for their help in providing some of these questions. Remember, your homework assignment is due on or before June 11th our next episode or actually whenever you get around to doing it and 
I really hope that you take the time to find out what's actually being taught in the churches and places of worship in your community. And remember, you can find all of these questions and more at thislittleightofmine.ca. I'm looking forward to connecting with you online. And remember, you are loved. Thanks for listening to This Little Light of Mine. To learn more about our guests today and for links from our show, visit www.thislittlelightofmine.ca. If you enjoyed this episode or feel that it could bring love and acceptance into someone else's life, please like, rate, review, and share so that we can build our community and bring more love into the world for all people. Thank you for sharing your time and listening to our stories today. And we would love to hear your story too. Visit the Get Involved section of thislittlelightofmine.ca to share your voice. We love being in community with you and look forward to sharing more with you next time. Now go and let your light shine bright because you are loved. <laughs>